Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Usha Nandi's life is devoted to revolutionizing the way women, spelled W-O-M-B-E-N, connect with their bodies, the earth, and each other. She spent thousands of hours in the jungles of Costa Rica, the mountains of Mexico, and the foothills of the Himalayas apprenticing with the master teachers to gather ancient wisdom and translate it for the modern age. She wasn't satisfied with the new age practices that speak of love and light without encompassing the entire spectrum of humanness and spirituality. She's self-proclaimed total body nerd and has thousands of hours of study to prove it. She's used her years of experience as a holistic nutritionist, a childbirth educator, a full-spectrum doula, herbalist, and yoga teacher to offer women a feminine perspective on spirituality that's accessible, grounded, and rooted in science. Usha specializes in blending the modern and scientific with the ancient and sacred to provide a truly holistic and integrative perspective for all who wish to deepen their relationship with the self. Usha is known for her offerings that invite inquiry and use of intuition to support students in cultivating expansion in the subtle energy bodies. She has guided hundreds of students into the spaces of stillness and transformation through trainings and intensive all over the world. Usha is unconditionally committed to supporting seekers to decondition their minds and reawaken the power of their heart and path to understanding your sacred body. Please welcome Usha to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely, and I'm so excited today to bring you Usha Anandi. Um, she is a woman wellness, spirituality, and science-based teacher, and I just want to say hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here today with you. Thank you. I'm, I'm super excited, and I always say that, that I'm super excited, but particularly today, um, I feel like a lot of my content lately has definitely been deeply about the deep feminine and mm. what like uh, around our cycles, around like connecting with the earth. And um, in the material that I've been reading about you, I love that you talk deeply about grounding and rooting a lot of this information into science, um, which I know this is a spiritual show, but I like both. <laughs> it's a, the merging of the masculine and the feminine. Um, but before we get deeper into some of those topics, can you give an introduction about yourself and your background and what brought you to this place today to teach about this? Absolutely. Um, so I love science and spirituality, too. So we have that in common. And when I was much younger, after I got off the pill, where I was on the pill birth control for around four and a half years, Put on it when I was 15 years old without really much education as to why, I started to experience a lot of different signs of hormonal imbalance. So my hair was falling out, my skin was erupting in cystic acne, I was having mood swings, I was crying all the time, um, feeling really out of touch with myself and my body. 
And I found myself at this crossroad. So it seemed to me that I had two choices. One, which was to, you know, confess um, my my problems in a sterile doctor office where my issues felt like they were swept under the rug or my intuition was denied. The other was to go the completely spiritual route and kind of bypass the human feelings that I was um, experiencing in that moment. And so I really thought to myself, can't there be a middle way? Can't there be something that combines both the facts, the scientific research with the spirituality? So that inspired me to go to school for holistic nutrition. And I studied specifically the female endocrine system. So how to heal our hormones with food. And then that brought me, I left the States and I went to Costa Rica and I started teaching women's health on yoga teacher trainings. Um, and I started facilitating really big groups. And that is where a light bulb kind of went off for me where I realized that this feminine based path is really, um, in my experience, not represented in many of our modern movement practices or health practices. And now we know today that, you know, women were only included in scientific studies after 1990. So of course, there's an entire narrative. Yes, I love seeing people's reactions. There's an entire narrative here that's missing. And so my work since then as a birth doula, really full spectrum doula, nutritionist, womb worker has been to fill the gap and to serve women and people with wombs just like me who are looking for the middle way. I love that. We all know we've been in a doctor's office and have lamented the pain that we're going through and being told that it's in our head or here's a simple pill and then not seeing any results happen from that and feeling like for years looking for solutions that don't work out, um, which is also why I've been super drawn to you because it's a personal journey for myself as well. I'm someone who struggles with PCOS, endometriosis. Um, estrogen dominance, adrenal fatigue, all of those things with those hormonal imbalances. And it's only until recently that I pieced it together that like, oh, wait, hold on. There is, there's something bigger and larger at hand. But before we go into any of my stuff, um, it was funny. This is just a random fact that I heard um, on one of your videos that I looked at. Um, but yoga being that the postures, that the way that it's been developed have was for men, uh, prepubescent men in an ashram. Tell me about that, because I think it's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it's surprising. And, you know, I am a really dedicated student of yoga. I'm so grateful for the tradition as it's been passed down. And um, but looking at the history of yoga, what we see is that the physical asana, you know, which isn't all of the practice, absolutely, but the physical movement part, which is what many people from the West know as just quote unquote yoga, right? That's all of what most Western people experience as the practice, even though it's much more than that. So that physical asana part was created using prepubescent male pelvises. So the Gurukul system, which is a really sacred tradition of bringing uh, small boys or young men into these ashram style environments, which is where my teacher grew up, for example. This is where a lot of the asanas were created. For example, Sri Krishnamacharya um, taught his students in Gurukuls. And this is where a lot of the modern postures from the Hatha Yoga Pradipika, um, from the Vinyasa lineage is really 
um, that's how they were developed. And yet today we see, you know, in a yoga journal study from 2016, about 80% of modern practitioners are women. And yet here we are doing postures and cueing alignment for male bodies. And that's important for those who don't know, because it's not just our hormones that differ from male bodies. It's the shape of our pelvis as well. So for example, standing with your feet together might work for male pelvises, which are less wide than female pelvises. But standing with your feet hips width distance apart is what most people with female pelvises need in order to feel stable. So you just see that is a huge difference, just Tadasana, you know, standing in mountain pose. It's like all of these ways that we've been taught to change our body and to keep trying this alignment, when in reality, we as people with female pelvises need something different. Now, the reason why I started with that comment um, is because it's it's kind of the you know, we're paying attention to how women have been left out of the narrative, Mm -hmm. Um, how the way in which our bodies have not been acknowledged as far as what our bodies need, particularly. And you mentioned it in a couple of your videos where you talked about patriarchy and the linearity of the way that we see our systems and our world work and our structure. Um, So what are some ways um, first, you know, to get into like ways in which women are denying our bodies of what they need in our current society in our modern society (laughs) do we have like all day long (laughs) um i think that question you know we can go so deep and it's also a really individual experience so i'll speak from my personal experience because i've definitely you know that's what brought me here is the ways in which i've denied my body and also the themes that i've seen through the thousands of women that I've worked with. And one of the things that I notice is most of us are taught that our cycles are inherently dirty or they're a curse or they're something to hold shame around. So for example, menstruation. And for the listeners, I always invite my students to think about your first period and think about the way that you were received when you first started to bleed and ask yourself, were you supported? Were you celebrated? Did it feel like the initiation and transition into womanhood that it can be? Or were you shamed? Was it something that you hide and maybe even continue to hide? So what I notice is that for many of us, it starts at menstruation. And that first experience of how we bleed really imprints us for the way we move forward into our womanhood. And that means that we are continuously trying to force ourselves to show up in a way that our bodies just aren't meant to. And I really believe that that is Um, experienced on a very personal level. So for example, you know, you're bleeding and you're menstruating and you have to go to work and show up the exact same as you would when you were fertile and energized and ovulating. But on the larger scale, we see that that's how the capitalist patriarchal world works. We are components of a machine. And if we don't show up, the system doesn't work. And so many people, many female body people, you know, we have cycles and we have to take care of those cycles. And yet we've been taught to deny what our body tells us. So in times of rest, 
I know so many of my students shame themselves. You know, why am I so tired? Can I just go to work or can I just get it done? And we have to be really careful, you know, especially for the listeners who like have their own business or who have their own projects. We have to be really careful of this um, patriarchal narrative, like boss bitch or like get it done. You know, that is actually just the patriarchy in a feminist mask just continuously telling us to show up and push through. So I think one of the things that I notice, not only in women, but just as in humans as a whole in our modern world is that we have very little space to listen. And because we have very little space to listen, we don't know what our body is saying to us. And even if we took the time to listen, we wouldn't even recognize its language because we haven't taken the time to learn it. And so taking space to listen, taking space away from the day to day and creating a practice is just such an important component, I think, of stopping denying ourselves of what it is that we deserve you know what is this human existence and how is it that we want to live in a meaningful fulfilling way uh the first thing that came to mind when you were speaking about um how did your how did it show up for you when you started menstruation and i was thinking like oh wow the first month that i i got my period i didn't talk i didn't tell my mom Cause I was scared. I didn't want her to know because, well, first of all, when we were like probably four, we asked where babies come from. She decided she was going to show us the video. <laughs> like, no, no, no. This is highly traumatic for a four year old to see someone giving birth. That wasn't what you should have done. But I was her firstborn child. Make a couple mistakes. Um, so I was super scared about that. And my mom always made a huge deal of it. Like, you are a woman now and you're this. And I was like, I don't want this extra attention. So I was celebrated, but I was like, I was so, I don't know if this is just coming in as a spirit who I was or what, but like, I was so like, I don't want other people to know. I was very private and my mom would make such a big deal out of it that I was like, that energy around it caused me a little bit of anxiety. <laughs> and so I hit it and I was like, I don't like how this feels. But even once I went to school, just that idea of like other, I could hear a few other girls, just a few that were like, oh, I got my period, I'm a woman now, I'm grown, you know? And then there being so much shame. I had a lot of inherent shame. And I had to look back at that and see, like, for most of my life, I've had a lot of shame about being a woman. And mm -hmm. that shame about being a woman and that also, like, just deflection of that humanity, of, like, that femininity, um, I do believe deeply came from my Christian roots. Um, mm -hmm. There was a lot of, like, you're unclean. And Absolutely. <laughs> You know, the woman, uh, the ideal of, of this, the way that it was presented wasn't, it, it, it didn't seem positive. We'll say that. Um, so I, I shunned that part of myself. And now I have a host of all of these issues that I believe are a spiritual result in the body of me deflecting that part of myself for a long time. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. Um, is that something that you see in a lot of your clients as far as their uh, origin stories go? Absolutely. You know, the way in which we grow up really dictates and also really dictates how it is that we relate to our bodies, what it is, the lens through which we view our bodies. And, you know, the our modern medical system is really intertwined with the church. 
And so I grew up Catholic, so I definitely know that religious trauma that I experienced. And I'm so grateful for it, actually, because it's made me into like this revolutionary who's really campaigning to to um, support women and becoming empowered. But it was definitely something that I really struggled with. And still today, you know, these these uh, beliefs and programs that have been so imprinted in me still come up. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's still there. You know, I thought I've done that. I've done that work. I've healed that. So one of the things that I will say is that, you know, our religious background, the beliefs that were held in our home, how our ancestors reacted and connected to their bodies. Like I often share that we can learn about our bodies in school, but we also learn about our bodies through the words that our mother or our caregivers mutter under their breath. So the way that our female um, authority figures connected to their body and spoke about their body informs us really so much about the way that we should and the way that is acceptable to connect to ours, which is really why doing this work is so powerful because we overhear each other, you know, and when you hear one person really empowered speaking about their body in a loving way that inspires you to do the same and our medical tradition our modern medical tradition is based on the heroic system which really means this tradition says that our body is unclean that our organs need to be cleansed that we are inherently dirty and impure and it's really connected to the church so learning um, one of the traditions that i practice is called the wise woman tradition and it's an herbalist tradition and um basically in this tradition what we believe is that disease is a teacher and it is here to teach us what our soul has come to learn and learning how to view our body in that way as this vessel this physical vessel as a teacher rather than a curse for me was so liberating on my healing journey that's the word curse when that came up i thought about yeah like I remember that Eve was the one who cursed us. She died of the apple and it was because she's the sinner that we have the, the challenge of being the child bearers. And that was the whole, that was the whole deal. I used to hate her. I was like, son of a bitch. Like we could yeah. run around here without having to bleed all the time. Like fucking her fault. Exactly. Um, so that, that leads into a perfect little segue to talk about infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many of my girlfriends who have struggled in this journey. And um, it's not a particular journey I'm on yet, um, but it's something that I've feared. I've often projected myself in a place where I'm like, oh, I don't really want kids. I'm not sure if I want kids or whatever, more so because I'm afraid of the devastation I've witnessed them experience and the Mm -hmm. hardship that they've experienced. So um, I would love to kind of like dig in a little bit and see like, okay, what's going on in our world? You had a beautiful blog that you talked about stress. And, um, and it particularly struck a chord with me just because of, um, just the high levels of stress that most of my clients and myself, uh, are involved in, in this kind of, this type of structural system. Um, the amount of infertility that's happening in the world with our women is, is staggering. And on some level, I have a conspiracy that we're trying, they're trying to do population control or whatever. And so all the chemicals that are in our shit 
uh, it's keeping our bodies from being able to do what they're meant to do. Um, I'd love to hear your theories and breakdowns around that. Oh, I have so many. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we have to look at where we are right now, which is that men have about 50% less sperm count than they did 100 years ago. One in six women experience infertility, unexplained infertility, which does not account for the women who struggle with endometriosis or PCOS. So I, I often think, I remember one day I was sunbathing about a year ago and I was like, if I was an alien and I was looking at the human race from space and I noticed that they were having all of these reproductive issues, that it was so challenging for them to get pregnant and have healthy pregnancies and healthy births and even um, healthy experiences of parenting, wouldn't I question their environment? Wouldn't I question their diet? And you can think about that as humans, you know, observing a different species. We would question everything if we were seeing this happen in a different species. So why then are we told that it's normal? And why then are we giving, given these diagnoses of unexplained infertility and there's no medical questioning after that it's just this is your diagnosis now goodbye I'm, I'm so sorry right so one thing that I'll say is that a lot of the clients I've worked with um, who want to conceive and who have been given the diagnosis of unexplained infertility or who struggle with PCOS or endometriosis it is so possible for them to persevere through that diagnosis. So for people who are listening, who have been given that diagnosis or been told that by a medical provider, that is not the end all be all. And that can be just so discouraging to get that diagnosis. For some people, it may also feel like a godsend, like finally, I have something that kind of labels the struggle that I've been on. So your experience receiving that diagnosis will be so unique to you. But I want to remind you that medicine and science doesn't know everything and that your body is magical and it always has the ability to heal. So what I'm seeing in my clients and my students today is just this incredible fragmentation in the quality of our lifestyle. Our hormones, which have a huge effect on whether or not we are able to conceive, are a reflection of our external world. So if our lifestyle is out of balance, if we are up late at night on the screen, we are going to work super early in the morning, not getting enough rest, if we are eating sporadically at weird times during the day, eating mostly processed foods with a ton of chemicals, of course, this is going to be reflected in our hormone system. So really, the, the answer here is not like this is the drug or this is the pill or even this is the herb or this is the food. Whenever I work with um, my clients who have diagnosis of PCOS or endometriosis or unexplained infertility, it's a total overhaul that needs to be done, not only of their lifestyle, of their exercise routine, of their diet, but also of the beliefs that they have about their body and about themselves and their ability to conceive life. What are the common beliefs that you find need to be rewired? that come up for people who struggle with that? 
one of the things that I've noticed that comes up a lot is just this feeling of unworthiness. So, you know, when I went through hormonal imbalance after I was getting off the pill, seeing my body go through that chaotic time and actually questioning what would I be able to conceive after all of this hormonal disruption, I felt this deep unworthiness. And it's probably because as people with wombs were taught that our worth is connected to our ability to bear children. And if we can't, then what are we good for? And it's about finding that worth beyond that. And one thing that's really interesting that I'll note here is that the process of trying to get pregnant when you've received a diagnosis um, and you're having challenges around con conception can be so stressful. And it's often just such an emotionally harrowing journey for couples and, and single women alike. And so one thing that I've noticed is that this stress that is just piled on when you're having challenges around conceiving lowers your chances of conceiving. And I've had a lot of students who after they're like, okay, maybe that's not for me, or I'm just not going to focus on that right now. And I'm going to start focusing on filling myself up. Then their stress levels are balanced. And often they do conceive after they balance their stress levels and start focusing on nourishing themselves again. So definitely this feeling of deep unworthiness. And also often there's quite a lot of fear around conception because when we do conceive, life changes. And, you know, when we have any type of label, any type of diagnosis, we start to identify with that. And so conceiving means changing the identity. It means starting to believe in your body again. It means going through this journey with your body, which is something that can sometimes, even if that diagnosis is so painful, it can feel safer than going the other direction. Because it's, there's more control. Exactly. Exactly. So in... Um, in the areas of like intuition, you do talk about deeply like um, learning learning about your body and getting very in a close relationship with your body. And um, there have been I know I, a thousand stories at least of people who have gone into a doctor's office and been like I knew something was wrong and couldn't like connect with it. Um, to go even deeper than that, to go into ancestral roots. Um, you do talk about that and I like that. So I want to go into that. Um, the ways that we know our body and the traditions in which our ancestors were able to integrate their bodies into the earth, into moon cycles, things that we don't use today. What are some practices that you teach some of your clients that allow them to dig deep into their intuition to know their body better and then dig deeper into their ancestry to be able to connect to those old rituals and traditions that will help them to keep connected? That's great. So this is one of the things that I've noticed. I Our first module of our six-week online womb sciences immersion is ancestry. Mm 
because I've noticed through teaching womb work for so many years that one component that's often missed in our modern world is our ancestral connection. And that's probably because colonization teaches us, you know, that the nuclear family is the most important. And for many of us, you know, I live in the United States and my ancestors left their home in Ireland to come here. So I have really been disconnected from my ancestors, their diet, their practices, even the climate that they lived in. So for people who want to connect with their ancestors and do that healing work, one of the first things that you can do is write down the names of your ancestors, track them, ask your relatives, where were they from? Where did they come from? What part of the world did they live in? Know their names and learn their stories. And if you don't know their names, if you don't have the ability to learn their stories, you can connect through the intuition of your body. So what is it that your ancestors ate? What is it that you like to eat if you don't know your ancestors? What kind of diet do you feel better on? So for example, I was a vegetarian for many years. I was raw vegan for some of those years. And for some reason, I always found my body really struggling on that diet. And only recently have I given myself the permission to start incorporating small amounts of organic meat back into my diet because that's what my ancestors ate and I feel so much better eating ancestrally. So connecting with the names of your ancestors, learning about where they come from and learning about what they ate is so important because most of us in the Western modern world have been sold diets that have nothing to do with our ancestry. And so each of us needs a specific diet. And this diet is often dictated by where our, the roots of our ancestors come from. So learning about how it is that you can feed your body because that has a huge connection with your overall womb health. And then some of the practices that I love to recommend to my students beyond just the ancestral eating is inviting your ancestors in. So whenever you're, if you have a meditation practice, if you have, you know, a music practice or you go for walks in nature, whatever your practice is, you can take a moment before you begin and just start to call your ancestors in, in an energetic way where you're literally feeling them enter the space around you. And if you see their faces, if you know their faces from photos or meeting them, you can invoke their faces with your visualization or you can just call their energy in. Even if you don't know any of your ancestors, you can still call them in in this energetic way. And what this does is it really reminds us that we are an extension of a long line of wisdom. And often what we're working with to heal, which can feel like oh, so much in this life, is something that our ancestors have been working on for thousands of years. And you might be the one who finishes that healing and, and creates a different line to move forward from. So that for me has helped me to feel like this isn't just mine, you know, this guilt or this shame around my femininity. This isn't even really mine. This is something that I'm working on 
from my mother, from my grandmother, and I'm transmuting that not only for me so I can heal, but for them so that they heal as well. Which beautifully segues me into epigenetics, which you do talk about as well, which I'm, I'm fascinated by. Um, can you explain epigenetics and can then you explain the importance of our awareness around that, considering us ending cycles amongst our lineage? Yes, I just want to say that I love your questions. <laughs> we're, we're covering my favorite topics. Um, so previously, before epigenetics came into the scientific world, and you know, it's still very much developing science, um, it was thought that we are our DNA. We are our ancestors, the DNA that we received from our mother and our father and their lines are what we are. That's how we experience diseases. That's how imbalances develop in our body. That's why we get this hair color or that hair color. That's why we die at this age versus this age. But what we know now is that's not entirely true. So sure, we do inherit DNA from our ancestors. But within this DNA, there are many different sequences that we, through every action, every meal, every thought that we think through every single moment in our life have the power to either turn on and activate those sequences or turn them off and silence them. What this means is that we have the power to control our lives and not control it in the way of like we're in charge because I think everyone knows we're not, but we have a hand in our own destiny. And that's really empowering, especially for people who come here with um, from matrilineal lines of a lot of chronic imbalances, you know, whose mother has struggled with PCOS or infertility or who has a lot of different imbalances on one side of the family. Just because that's in your ancestry, which, yes, does tell you that you have a tendency towards that. With your diet, with your lifestyle, with your spiritual practices, you can change the way that those imbalances show up in your body, if at all. So this puts the power back in our own hands. And it means that we get to choose with every single moment, you know, these small decisions. Do I drink water or do I drink soda in the morning? These small decisions actually have an incredibly magnified impact on our overall life path. Hmm. I love that because I think um, not just on the body spectrum, but on the emotional spectrum, when we think about trauma, when we think about um, spirituality in general, like I think about my ancestors and go, wow, like, okay, I come from an African and Native American background. Uh, lineages that have suffered immense amounts of oppression and how that affects me in my day-to-day -day life today. Forget the, the fact that the world is what it is already, but also in my DNA having attributes that have contributed to certain types of survival uh, based mm -hmm. on that. And so even when I think about like my weight, like it's all, I've always been a kind of chunky kid. <laughs> and so in that sense of, but incredibly sensitive and knowing that a lot of the protection, like needing a lot of protection from those sensitivities, um, my ability to be able to communicate with spirits, my ability to be able to have that connection to the other world via my epigenetics through my ancestral history, 
and the ways and abilities and things that they rehearsed, they practiced, that was a part of their normal day-to-day life. And so that's already implanted inside of me. I've done what I can to strengthen those things and keep that on. But there are other things that I've been able to willingly turn off. Um, I used to be able to see ghosts physically, like right in front of me, very present. It was too scary. And I, I turned it off. I was able to turn that off. So it it's empowering for me to hear that because it's something I don't make the connection on often. I think about my family and I think about um, our body types and the sufferings that we've had within our own health and like diabetes and all kinds of stuff and thinking like, okay, this is where my body's headed. Like mm. even with the amount of choices that I make or whatever, I still see myself going in that direction and feeling like I'm powerless against it. Mm. Absolutely. So epigenetics for me as well gives us back. It's like it's holding that possibility that things could be different. And of course, sometimes the ancestral patterning patterning is so strong that we may tend towards those sides, but not as much because there's a spectrum right? There's a huge spectrum when we talk about imbalance. And so the ancestral patterning may be so strong that we do tend towards imbalance, but through our lifestyle, we may be able to bring ourselves back. And one thing I will say on that is, you know, we used to live with so many generations of our family. Mm -hmm. And now, um, in our modern world, it's really normal to just live with your mother and father. And then at a certain age, you live alone. Whereas our ancestors lived together for many generations. So you saw what your mother was like. You saw your grandmother's health. You might even have met your great-grandmother and been around her as well. And you could see the patterns in your family. But now, because we're so disconnected from that and it's not normalized, we, there's a lot of room to guess. And many of us don't have that same information as we would have some years ago. Mm-hmm. Be able to look at that. Yeah. Um, so for, for your clients and you, um, you know, there are many women who suffer with PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, weight gain, insulin resistance, hair loss, adrenal fatigue, cortisol, mm-hmm. <laughs> estrogen dominance, thyroids, like there's so many things. Um, at least from my research, it seems to stem from the same thing, which is hormonal imbalance. Um, can you give our listeners some very practical and helpful steps that would help them get on their journey to start bringing their hormones back into balance? Absolutely. This is great. I just taught a class for our monthly membership about endometriosis and PCOS. So here are some tips that you can use across the board that I implement with all of my clients right away because these are the steps that I notice are really missing in our modern lifestyle just in general. So the first thing is get your sleep schedule. All right. Okay. So you need at least seven hours of sleep every night. Some people need more, but seven hours is the minimum every single night, seven hours. I have a teacher of restorative yoga and she says that the sleep you get before 10 p.m. is the best sleep. 
So try to go to sleep as early as you can and then wake up with the sun. So going to sleep earlier and waking up earlier is actually better for your circadian rhythm, which is what we're trying to balance here, which has a huge impact on the release of your hormones into your bloodstream and your overall digestive balance and your body balance. So going to sleep earlier, waking up early is better for your hormone system. So if you're able to do that, do that. And if you're someone who needs generally eight or nine hours of sleep, plan that in accordingly. So going to sleep around the same time, waking up around the same time every single day is super important for your hormonal balance. Then eating two or three meals, I recommend three, but some people find that they only need two and maybe a snack, but eating at the same time within a 30 minute window every single day. And you'll notice, like I have clients who say, oh, but I'm not hungry all the time. Sure. But if you set the eating schedule, your body will respond. So if you start eating around the same time, this gives your body the opportunity to turn on its digestive power. And you will notice after around a week of following your schedule, you'll get hungry right before you're supposed to be eating. So what we're doing here with the sleep and the eating is we're manipulating the circadian clock of your body. And through that manipulation, we're reteaching it how to live in a healthy way. Because most of us, you know, I grew up, I think I got an iPod when I was like 11. And I remember I couldn't sleep at night. So I would watch my iPod before bed. And then I wouldn't find myself sleeping until 11 or 12. And so my sleep schedule was fragmented since the time I was 11 or 12. And so for me, sleeping on time has been a really big struggle, not to mention the incredible amounts of artificial blue light that we have now in our world with all of our TVs and our cell phones and our computers. But I'll say more on that. So sleeping and eating, really important. And then especially on the eating, not eating after 7 p.m. And here's why. So naturally, remember that circadian rhythm I've been talking about, your body starts to decrease its stress hormone levels around 7 p.m. if we don't eat anymore. So eating dinner, yeah, there's a catch there. <laughs> so eating dinner before 7 p.m., making sure a good rule in Ayurvedic medicine in Eastern nutrition is eat while the sun is still in the sky. So in the winter, that might mean you eat a little bit earlier. In the summer, you want to eat still before the sun goes down, but a good rule is always before 7 p.m. because naturally your cortisol levels will start to decline. But if you eat again, like a midnight snack or even something right before bed, then your cortisol levels go up again. So we really want to support the body in getting into this natural parasympathetic nervous system state where it's able to rest, where it's able to digest all of the food from the day, and it's able to balance your hormones. So the sleep, the eating, and then also creating a whole plant-based diet. And by plant-based, I don't mean only eating plants. 
Some people can incorporate animal protein depending on your beliefs or your background. Animal protein is a first class protein, which means it's more bioavailable for our body. And for people with PCOS especially, I do recommend it because one of the major issues with PCOS is insulin resistance and high blood sugar. And when we don't have proper sources of protein, our blood sugar is often unstable and all over the place, which can exacerbate our hormonal imbalance. So eating enough protein at every single meal, cutting out as much sugar as you can, including natural sugars that are in fruit juices, even though they're organic, sugars in juices that have been sitting for more than three hours spike your blood sugar just like processed sugars would so getting your diet really stable eating at the same time every day and then exercising in a way and this is the last one i'll say because these are just super basic but i need to be reminded of them so exercising in a way that is restorative for your body. So what I mean by that is you are probably not capable of doing high intensity workouts every single day of the month. And that's good because you're not supposed to. So for people with endometriosis and PCOS, people who are struggling with any kind of hormonal imbalance, one of the things that often goes along with this is chronic low-grade inflammation and also adrenal fatigue, which can be called hyperadrenia. So when we work out too much, when we hit it too hard at the gym, which can like feel really good, in the moment because we get all of those endorphins and for people with PCOS or insulin resistance, we just burn some of our blood sugar, our glucose, so we're clear headed again. But what happens in the long run is actually this taxes our adrenal glands. So this can actually just send us on a downward spiral and make our hormonal imbalance worse. So I recommend practices like qigong or tai chi or yoga that is a breath-centered practice and then if you do want to do more high intensity stuff doing it only one or two times a week so really moving your body every day for at least 30 minutes is important but doing it in a way that is still restorative for your body so you don't um, make your hormonal imbalance worse this is like light bulb moment for me um because i've struggled with this hormone thing since i could remember like prepubescently even um but sleep being that massive component i try to go to bed early i just can't fall asleep and so i will um you know either take a melatonin or um i don't know get high or something you know like something did something to force me to go to sleep because i'm tired but cannot get my body to turn off it's interesting that you said um, not eating after seven. I've always heard people say that, but not why. It's just like, don't eat before seven so your metabolism can blah, 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 blah. The cortisol component to me was the light bulb moment because people who suffer with that high cortisol and the burning out of adrenal glands, I've always had issues with that um, and not being able to figure that out. And the one thing that I do that I noticed that, that is a habit of mine, I like to eat grapes, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock or something like that, like a small bushel of grapes or whatever. It's like, when someone has a glass of wine before bed, I don't drink. So I'm like, oh, I'll just have some grapes or something like that. So that feels like that 
that kicks me in the ass a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but these are these are simple steps. These are very simple steps. So do you see that people find like they have massive results following that? Does it increase their fertility? Does it make their symptoms go away? Do they lose a bunch of weight? What happens? Absolutely. I mean, all of the above, you know, and it's funny because they're simple and yet try to do them. <laughs> like for people who are listening, like really try to do them and you'll see that the um, fragmentation that's been embedded in our system from our modern way of life is so deeply embedded that it takes a long time to even get our sleep schedule and our eating schedule right, especially when we're on the go. You know, luckily I work from home, so I'm able to do that. But doing jobs elsewhere means that you have to really plan and you have to prep and you have to be strict with your boundaries. So this is the foundation. Um, before I add herbs, before I recommend any supplements, this needs to be a strong foundation. They have to have this down because the herbs and the supplements sure speed up the process. But if the lifestyle, the exercise, the diet aren't right, then you're just having two different um, forces fighting against each other. The herbs are trying to make progress, but then you're going the other direction and you don't see yourself really moving forward on your journey at all. So this is absolutely imperative. If you want to balance your hormones, that you start to manipulate your circadian rhythm, get it back in balance, start to lower your stress hormones and balance your sex hormones. And through your diet, you will naturally trigger your body to heal because our body is built to heal. And for people who have been struggling with hormonal imbalance for so long, we often forget that. We can start to think that our body is punishing us or it's working against us and it starts to feel like we're at war inside of ourselves. But your body was created to heal. That's what it does every single moment of every single day. And it just needs us to cooperate in that healing so it can remember how to do its job. I hope you guys listening can just hear how eloquent she is. <laughs> There's not like one hiccup that I've heard or anything. Like you're just so well-spoken. Um, I think that this is such, it's so needed, like, especially right now. Like I deeply believe that in the process of COVID, I can only speak for myself but it has given me an opportunity to get back on track, get back in, in key relationship with my body and stop ignoring it for the, the calling of all of the other obligations that I feel I need to, to um, fulfill. And mm -hmm. so in that process of that, even this morning I got up and I was like, okay, I have to do something. Um, I've been following all these, like I'm, I'm uh, almost vegan. I'm pescatarian, pescovegan, pescadaritarian. I like to call it, but um I'm in the process of trying to figure out a workout routine that works for me that feels restorative because of my adrenal burnout. I can't do high intensity. Like it just, I get super burnt out and that's what I used to do. I used to be a track star, but <laughs> um, where we do two a days and that was my whole high school and middle school. And in fact, I got into track in seventh grade because I was chubby kid. So mm -hmm. like I started off and it kicked off an eating disorder and it really put this like really it detached me from my body so much that self hate that I had for myself allowed me to fragment not only my circadian rhythms and my metabolisms and things, but my, my spiritual connection with my vessel. And I feel like I've lived most of my adult life apart, separate from my body. 
um, up until last year where I really started to go, okay, like, what does it look like to get into feminine? What does it look like to surrender? What does it look like to really embody my feminine energies? What does it look like to appreciate my period? What does it look like, you know, in all of those aspects where I think a lot of women, like you said, we're scurrying to the bathroom with a tampon hidden in our sleeve. Totally. And that ideal that we're always hiding, the idea that we have to be small. Like, even when you think about weight, like, oh, does my butt look big or whatever? Yes, girl, you look fine. You know, like, there's just this idea that we have to be small. That's being integrated, even in integrated in our epigenetics, that, like, women shouldn't take up space. And, like, I started thinking about that really deeply because I'm like, it's okay for me to take up space. I'm a strong warrior woman, and that's all right. But like the hardiness even of that statement and really feeling like when you go out into the world, I still live in a society, you still live, we still live in a society that says you need to be small. Your periods are gross. You're unclean. Um, you have all these obligations to show up for when you're tired and you're cramping or you're pregnant and you're throwing up, you still have to go to work. I have a friend who's pregnant right now who has the worst bout of morning sickness. And actually two friends, both of them have really, really bad morning sickness. And she's having to show up to work every day, be on these sales calls and whatever. And it's like, gosh, if any time right now, like during the development of your baby, should you have a pass <laughs> without losing your job? You know, imagine if we as a society valued that, you know, and we realized that the health and the mental health of the mother while she was pregnant was vital, not only for her well-being after she gives birth, but for the baby's neurological development as well. And I love what you say about, you know, being small and not taking up space. And I really think, you know, to bring it all together, this is a conspiracy. We are so powerful and we have been the wisdom keepers and tradition holders for thousands of years for our people. So how interesting is it now that in a time where patriarchy really rules and where we are taught to fit ourselves into this linear system, which denies not only our inner cycles, but our power as well, that we find ourselves struggling so much, unable to take up space, unable to remember that power that we need not only to feel connected with ourselves, but connected with each other. I don't think it is happening by mistake. I don't think it's a coincidence. And that's why I say this work is so revolutionary because if one woman can heal herself, she can light the way for hundreds, thousands of others. And we're doing it together, connected, whether we know it or not. Damn girl. Yeah, like hyped up over here. <laughs> I just did a fist in the air, I love it. Um, this is, this is so exciting. Um, we're going to continue the conversation over at Patreon and talk about the wisdom keepers. Um, but before we go, can you tell people, um, if you have one lasting message for everybody that they really needed to hear, and I can, I can see you, you're channeling over there. Um, so I'm in a squat right now. Uh, <laughs> if there's a message that we can bring to the collective, what's the most important thing for people to take away from this? Yeah, what's coming through right now is that you are inherently whole, that no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're struggling with, you are inherently whole and you can heal yourself. A woman. <laughs> awesome. Um, can you tell everybody where to find you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So you can head over to womanwellness.com slash start and we have a free guide to uh, free beginner's guide to womb wisdom that if you want to learn more about this journey, you can just start there and all of our in-person trainings and online immersions you can find on womanwellness.com as well. And you have like a six, is it six week course or six month course? Yeah, we have a six week online womb sciences immersion, which is our signature course, which takes you step by step through the path of awakening to your womb wisdom and healing your body. It's a it's a very in-depth, very powerful journey. Well, guys, we're going to continue this over at Patreon. Um, I'm so excited, so excited that you're on this show. I feel like I learned so much, and I'm like, okay, shit. Now I need to, like, stop eating past seven. You go to bed, <laughs> take your ass to bed. Um, this has been really, really enlightening, and we really, really appreciate it. Guys, if you were listening, please take to heart everything that she said and make sure to check out what it is that she has to offer you. Um, I've been super excited for this interview and I'm glad that it really, really panned out. My intuition was right when I saw you. Um, so guys, if you like this episode, please share it with someone that you love and don't forget to rate and subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening.